0: Wrong. A of and can't go Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, and it's July the 8th, 2009. For those who are just tuning in, new listeners, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. Where you can download hundreds of hours of talks i've given in the past I trying to give you shortcuts to the, the big system which truly rules the world and has for quite some time i try to show you the big organizations the foundations the ngos and so on uh, that really run the system and pretend to demand things from governments on behalf of the people. It's really called the new kind of democracy. Although they themselves say we're living in a post-democratic era, in a sense they're right because democracy keeps changing its meaning down through the centuries. The new kind of democracy, if it exists, I believe it exists of these big, big groups. And you have to belong to a group to have any voice at all. If you don't belong to a group, you have no voice. For the rest of the public, they get their left wing and their right wing, and that supposedly speaks for them. It never does, of course, and that's why they always vote the other bunch in, and the last lot disappoint them. So I try to cover this kind of system to show you how the dialectic truly works in in reality. And you can also, on the front page of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, you can see the um, other sites I have up there. Just in case anything goes wrong with the major sites, they have pulled me before. And I expect trouble in the future. You'll see cuttingthrough.jenknis.com should bookmark these ones when you see them. And that way you'll always be able to find me somewhere should major things happen. There's also cuttingthroughthematrix.net.us.ca. On what sent in sentinel.eu, which is a European site, you can download uh, the same audios, plus you can get some transcripts of some of the audios written in the various languages of Europe from that site and you can also go to AlanWattCuttingThroughTheMatrix.ca as well and that's the trouble you have to go to in this day and age to try and make sure uh, that you cover uh, eventualities that you're pretty well certain are going to come down the pike also I should mention too that you the listeners bring me to you so it's up to you to keep me going money dribbles in here and there And, of course, everything goes up, as we all know, as we're going through inflation and massive unemployment. They won't call it depression, but that's what it is worldwide, brought on on purpose at the right time to bring in a new system. And also to basically bring in the world system. And the U.S., I've said for years, as they're finishing off supplying the manpower, the military might, and the tax money to standardize the world, as they were finishing off, They'll be pulling the rug from under their feet at the same time back home. That's exactly what's happening, because the U.S. is to become absorbed into the system they've helped to create across the world for their masters. And yes, we do have masters, and it's not the ones that you elect. The ones you elect certainly do work for them too, mind you, not for the people. Uh, also, you can keep me going, to so say, on the, on the CuttingsWithMatrix.com website, you'll find PayPal for those who want to donate, There's books and so on you can buy, DVDs and CDs which I've written to show you the length of uh, and techniques of how mind control really works and has worked down through the ages. They love to use symbology, there's a language of symbology no doubt whatsoever, going back to ancient times and I go through much of this too, and the history of money because money is very important since everything, everything in the world runs on money, not fresh air, not planting vegetables but money and they make sure that you must use their system, or they come for you. I'll be back with more uh, after these messages. their parents who were conditioned prior to them being born, obviously, by the same system. Most folk are born into their time. like all mammals, and it's up to the adults to warn the offspring as to what's dangerous to them, to give them truth and, and uh, to help the survival capabilities. If you've all been given the basic uh, lies of a, a system, a, a different reality... Then, and your parents, you'll pass it on to your children. You won't think to warn, you won't know to warn them, in fact. You'll think the system you're born into is natural, therefore there can be no other way. And I've gone into that in detail before, the psychology of this technique. And every generation is upgraded or downloaded, if you like, with more information, more predictive programming from a very early age as to what they'll experience in their lifetime. It's often done through fiction. Fiction is the best way to get ideas, possibilities across to people because you don't think critically about them when you're being entertained. And therefore, when the real events pop up in your life, because it's simply familiar to you, you don't stand back in awe or shock or jump back. You just say, well, I guess maybe that mm, kind of natural. It must, have, it must be natural that it's happening. That's called predictive programming. And we're run like this, you see. There is a, a world standardized education system in existence at the United Nations and that was the whole idea for bringing in a global society an awful long time ago, even when it was called the League of Nations, you had different Huxleys and and, and they're involved in fact and one of them became the first CEO of UNESCO to create this standby system and I've gone over uh, some of this from the book written by Julian Huxley himself, who talks about the society they would create as the masters of creating realities for peoples, for the big herd. And they also had an all their eugenics policies because in this big over system, this over system we live uh, under, eugenics has been a big, big part of it down through history. And very powerful peoples have come down through history learning these techniques, acquiring credible wealth, having very special selective breeding. And we see them really emerging Really emerging even though they had been in Britain for a while we see them really emerging uh, uh, more openly in the United States very early on and in the late 1800s with the Robert Barnes an excellent book to read is of Robert Barnes how they rose to power this conglomerate they already knew each other all these families and they managed to get tax funding again from the government the, the government really is a front it's a, a really a tax collector of labor in the form of money. And then they can hire more labor with the use of that money because everyone's trained to use it, so it's quite natural. And they could create railways and all the rest of it, get land given to them by government for free. Because these are big, big building projects, but eugenics is a big part of it because they also wanted to, as Malthus said, and HG Wells and many others since have said, they want to eliminate what they call the useless eaters, the the type, be left after a post-industrial era and Charles Galton Darwin as I've mentioned before the grandson of Charles Darwin wrote the million the next million years and he said in his book that the fear he and his class had was that those masses underneath them of the old type of human who hadn't evolved fast enough or high enough would overtake those who had and he obviously included himself and those who had mind you the Darwins have been interbreeding with only one other family for generations. That was the Wedgwood family. To create these scientific types, you see. These world planners, these world managers. And when you look at the big Robert barns and the families that came out, there was a massive organization protecting these people. You didn't get self-made men like they tell you. You had people put in place, well-protected, elevated to the top, as he plundered and robbed and acquired. And they became the leaders of foundations. The parallel government that Professor Carl Quigley talked about in his book Tragedy and Hope and the Anglo American Establishment, two books really. He called it the parallel government, the ones who really ran the world. Well, here's an article here before I go into my main talk tonight. Where you see it's happening in China now everyone knew or or knows that that China had the one child per family rule and I'm going to show you how, how they present something to that reader, throw you off kilter and then go on with part of the real story but never tell you the whole story this article was from the BBC News 29th of February 2008 now here's the first article, this is meant to throw you off China may revamp one child rule It says, China is considering scrapping this controversial one-child policy after three decades, a senior official says. Now, here's the next part, which throws the last one out the window. Family planning chief, see, they have a, a a family planning chief for the whole of China, a massive department, but one chief. Zio Beige told reporters she wanted an incremental change, incremental change in the policy. That's far different than scrapping, isn't it? And what is this incremental change? She says, but there are not yet any specific proposals or a timetable for change. And she said some form of population control would remain in place. Well, that's not scrapping, right? Families in China, China cities are restricted to one child and those in rural areas to two because they want laborers, you see, to feed all the, the wealthy elite. you see. It's all Malthusian and Darwinistic. And, of course, communism runs on that, doesn't it? It says here, but the BBC's Dan Griffith in Beijing says many wealthy Chinese are having large families. They're having large families already, you see, and getting away with it, obviously, and choosing to pay the standard fine. So they only get fines, meaning if you're wealthy, you can pay a fine and have more than one child. Now... What was it that Charles Galton Darwin said? It should encourage those who rise up in the social strata, meaning the better IQs, uh, etc., encourage them to have bigger families. Well, you see, you're seeing this, this is what this article really is about without saying so. See? So if you're poor in China, uh, they, your neighbors will first turn you in. Uh, they're trained to do that. They call it, say that you're, you're um, robbing the people of food. You're anti-social is a the term they use. And they drag you off to the clinics for abortion. It used to be the military had to do it. Now they've trained the public to do it. Just the same way, is the, in fact, the same people who came up with this idea, this technique, uh, are the guys at the United Nations who did the anti-smoking campaigns and made children start coughing and sneezing when they're 50 yards from someone lighting a cigarette. Conditioned responses. They're also the same ones who are using the war on obesity from the United Nations. Same techniques to stigmatize obese people. But they used this first in China to train the public that those who had more than one child were antisocial. You see? Same techniques. So if you're wealthy in China, you can have more than one child because you're proving your worth by getting up there in the strata of bureaucracy. And that's pure Darwinism. And again. Uh, it's, it's always a rule for the poor and a, a rule for the rich, isn't there? Like the article I read last week about the, the, the Autobahn in Germany, where one, one town or one city had banned all automobiles and people, most of the people sold their cars, but it said at the end of it that, that the people who still needed their cars for, for work, travel, uh, etc., outside the town uh, would have a special garage set up outside on the fringes but they had to pay an enormous amount of money for the privilege of that. Of course, those same families who, who uh, will put it down to their expense accounts, you see. Mm-hmm. So it's a law for the rich, a law for the poor. And that's what they're using, the power of the purse to get to people. Now, this story, how does it fit into my next thought? Because it's all really these thoughts. It's to do with population control, this jump from there to uh, the the Memorandum 200, National Security Study Memorandum 200. But Mr. Kissinger, when he really was the boss with a front man as a president, uh, put out 1974, April 24th, he says, The Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of Agriculture, the Secretary of Central Intelligence, Deputy Secretary of State, Administrator, Agency for International Development, Subject: Implications of Worldwide Population Growth for U.S. Security and Overseas Interests. The President has directed a study of the impact of world population growth on U.S. security and overseas interests. The study should look forward to at least uh, the year 2000 and use several alternate reasonable projections of population growth. In terms of each projection, the study should assess The corresponding pace of development, especially in poorer countries. Now, I've read articles before, uh, even from the United Nations, and those in the big environment movements funded by the Rockefellers, not the same guys as always. Uh, The NGOs funded by the big foundations, who said there could never be another U.S., there's too much consumption, etc. And they must stop emerging nations, emerging nations, from becoming wealthy and independent. That's what's happening in Iraq right now. You have different factions, still kind of nationalistic, even those that think they're going to get democracy. And meanwhile, guys like Brzezinski are playing them on a chessboard as they fight each other off, get tired, weary, and then they'll bring in their puppet brigade at the end of it, their puppet regime. That's what's happening in geopolitics. Getting back to this this, uh, particular Memorandum 200. Demand for U.S. exports, especially of food, and the trade problems the U.S. may face arising from competition for resources and the likelihood that population growth or imbalances will produce disruptive foreign policies and international instability. What they're really talking about is are big international corporations. How well will they fare or, or not fare? The study should focus on the international, political, and economic implications of population growth rather than its ecological, rather than its ecological, sociological, or other aspects. Back with more after this break. Through the matrix, just delving into how long term planning and strategy works. For those who think we just stumble down through time and we have chaos here and there breaking out, no one foresees it. Depressions come and go because no one can predict it. And that's the accidental view of history that's taught in mainstream schooling. But it's not taught to those at the top, they get archives of real info. Because after all, their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents ran the world already. But I'm reading right now from the, the memorandum 200, NSSM 200, and this is to do with uh, a report put out by Kissinger, uh, allocating a lot of money, by the way, to start this all off. They already were using money to to bring the populations down by other means at home as well as abroad, but. Uh, this was really the, the start, the official start, public start or public side start of aid to the third world, as they called it, which really meant bringing the populations down. That's what it's about. They didn't want people to come up and become nationalistic, become wealthy and healthy, etc., and then start bargaining for resources and all the rest of it. They didn't want competition. It wasn't on the, it wasn't on the plan. There is a, a world plan, always has been. But it says here, the study should focus on the international, political, and economic implications of population growth rather than its ecological, sociological, or other aspects. They weren't caring at that time about bringing up the ecological value as they are using it today to colours again and because come under their thumb for control and saving the planet. So the study would then offer possible courses of action, possible courses of action for the United States in dealing with population matters abroad particularly in developing countries, with special attention to these questions. What, if any, new initiatives by the United States are needed by, to focus international attention on the population problem? What initiatives are needed? We're talking about massive publicity campaigns. Can technological innovations or development reduce growth or ameliorate its effects? We're talking about population, technological innovations. What do they mean by technological innovations to reduce growth of population or ameliorate its effects? They're talking about all kinds of warfare techniques. Could the United States improve its assistance in the population field? Assistance in the population field. I love how they word things. And if so, in what form, and listen to this, through which agencies, bilateral, multilateral, or through private agencies. Well, guess who does most of it? The big front foundations again, which fund all these different organizations to go out and sterilize and abort all across the planet. So they all work together because they're all owned by the same, and it's the other way around. The foundations are above government. It says, now, here's, here's, here's how they, they, they word it to try and keep their name out of all the different organizations they'll be funding. The wise. The study should take into account the President's concern, meaning you covered the President, right? That population policy is a human concern, not the President's concern or the US, but a human concern intimately related to the dignity of the individual. And the objective of the United States, this is what the, the world is to be told, the objective of the United States is to work closely with others. Rather than seek to impose our views on others, you understand how it's done. They're covering everybody, including their own name, including the country's name. The President has directed that the study be accomplished by the NSC under Secretary's Committee. The Chairman under Secretary's Committee is requested to forward the study together with the Committee's action recommendations no later than May the 29th, 1974, for consideration by the President. And it signs it Henry Kissinger, Chairman, Joint Chiefs of Staff, etc., etc. Now, this wasn't a, we're taught, we read this stuff, but it didn't really mean it. I guess it was just an interesting thing, a matter of interest. Let's let's do a little study and find out if we we were going to do this, let's see how it would be done, if, if it was going to be done at all. That's how most folk excuse this kind of stuff. This went into action, and millions of dollars went into action as well, tax money as well, coupled with the foundations. that made sure all this stuff was carried out across the world, still is today. But what do they do at home? Because remember, people who will do this abroad, at the very top, the creme de la creme, who don't really associate themselves or even mix with ordinary people, in fact, uh, just to throw this in, I was watching a little bit um, about George Bush and, and how he he came in when he first came in with this uh, open policy stuff and how friendly he was going to be for the first time. And he actually asked people to come in to talk to him, to tell him how poor people live And he actually said, he actually says this, I- I've never met any poor people. I've never mixed with them. And yet this guy is put up there with the tribal emblems and the flags waving because we're tribal people, is the epitome of one of you. These people are never one of you. They're internationalists. And their nearest identifiable kin to them are people of similar status across the world and top of every other country. It's a big club, you see. how to do, do it at home how to do, do well with no doubt whatsoever if you look at the statistics of medicine and the history of medicine that we've been given and you understand how medicine really uh, the whole schooling of medicine is like all tunnels that you create with university And when going to go into this technique of creating of tunnels the indoctrination of those who will carry out agendas with total belief in what you do. But it's very important to the topic tonight. Back after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix. If you want a managerial class or a professional class of people to really master the people beneath them and gain respect from the people beneath them, first they have to be believable. Therefore, the indoctrination they have must be believed by them themselves. That's the first thing in mind control and managerial classes. Therefore, in the medical profession, and I'll give you an example of this right off the bat. Uh, they're the most controlled of all. Uh, they've been risen to a status, mainly through fiction and dramas on television. Jacks have all said that. Whenever you see something pushed on television or in, or in movies to exalt the status of a particular profession, whether it's, it's detectives and, and law and order or whatever, or the medical profession, uh, then it's propaganda. It's for propagandic purposes because you must start to... Bend your will to them, and they become... Remember what Lenin said, and Stalin, too, that services would eventually become authorities over the public, and that medicine is one of them. That began as a service, and they're really pushing now. They already have it as the authority over the public in all health matter. You do what you're told. You bend over and take this injection when they tell you, or else. And Now, these are these services, right? Anything technically paid by the public person, started off and funded by them, is supposedly owned by the public. That's what it says. The beauty of of collectivism and and communism, those have representatives given to us to speak on our behalf that we never have anything to do with. But you must indoctrinate the doctors first. And as an example, doctors coming out of college right now or university uh, don't get any history on the cancers that have really escalated in the last 30, 40 years, mainly in the last 20, really, massively. Uh, and so they think it's always been that way. So they'll just mark everyone down, yeah, he's another cancer one, blah, 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 and that's it. They don't know that certain many of these cancers were, were so rare in 1950 that very, very few were recorded. They still did statistics back then in census and all the rest of it, following medical data. And again, part of the massive outbreak of cancer, especially bowel cancers, started with processed foods right off the bat. In fact, in Scotland, they didn't have bowel cancer. It just didn't exist before that. Other countries have their own uh, particular areas that they were pretty immune to. And now that they've all got the same types of cancers because they're all in the same system, eating the same stuff, getting the same injections and so on. And injections gets me back to it. I've given talks before that have followed the, the, the incredible increase in autism since the polio vaccine first came out in the 1950s. We know that the simian 40 virus was contained in every shot of polio vaccine. There's a documentary out there with Dr. Salk talking on it. Saying, yeah, he knew the Simeon-40 virus that causes cancer was in every shot. But he thought that the benefits outweighed the risks, he says. And there's many other viruses. There's about 150 viruses in every shot. Live viruses. Back to you on viral warfare is some incredible art, isn't it? And it's mainly kept quietly from the, the public. Medicine is a powerful, powerful tool. And we think in pills. That's how we think. We've been trained to think in pills by the big pharma companies and so on. Now, if someone sent me a link, and it's actually from a, an animal rights group, I think, an anti vivisection society from British Columbia. But you'll find the same article in other sites as well. And it's about the Rockefellers uh, creating the drug cartel for America and a good part of the world not on this particular site, but in another one I found, and going into the books on the Rockefeller pharma businesses, one of the ones they had was based in Paris, I think it still is, at least in France, the pharma companies, and they came out with the first flu vaccine, and they gave it to the, the embarking troops coming back from World War I. That was the first one ever given, and the troops were all coming out through Spain at that time to embark through the different countries and bang, you had, uh, you had the, the, the first killer flu the world had ever heard of. They called it the Spanish flu. Interesting little connections you make from people who are into dominating the world, population control, and they believe they have a divine destiny to recreate and rebuild everything on the planet that was left imperfect. Very old, 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 old families. Many names down through the centuries. All of them. Not just their Best known that family in the United States, and on the site it says here: uh, it says it's it's from a book called *The Drug Story*, written about 1949. It says here by a guy called Beale: "God gave me gave me my money." That's what John D. Rockefeller Sr. said, and in a sense, he's telling the truth because you're not going to understand what they're talking about when you say God. Since they believe they are the highest of all things, they are technically gods. So, whoever was before him gave them his position and opened the doors and protected them as well. And this it says, The Naked Empress or The Great Medical Fraud by Hans Roche. I guess it's a, a summary of this book, and it gives you excerpts from it. In the 1930s, Morris A. Beale, former city editor of the Old Washington Times and Herald, was running a county seat newspaper in which a local power company bought a large investment or adver- advertisement every week. This account took quite a lot of worry off Beale's shoulders when the bills came due. To cut it short, eventually um, he let some articles in the paper to do with poor service from the company. Uh, the word went out to the advertisers, and he was threatened. And the money was pulled eventually from his paper. But then he, he went to see where else this was happening in society, this kind of technique where big money could literally um, come at you and close you down, which is an old story, really. But, but it's different when it happens to you personally, isn't it? But he dug into the Rockefeller Foundation, he professional experience to do some deep digging into the freedom of the press situation came up with two shattering exposés, The Drug Story and The House of Rockefeller, two publications. The fact that in spite of his familiarity with the editorial world and many important personal contacts, he couldn't get his revelations into print until he founded his own company, called the, British, the, the Columbia Publishing House, Washington, D.C. in 1949, to publish his own book. It was just a prime example of the silent but adamant censorship in force in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Although The Drug Story is one of the most important books on health and politics ever to appear in the U.S., it's never been admitted to a major bookstore nor reviewed by any establishment paper and was sold exclusively by mail. Nevertheless, when we first got to read it in the 1970s, it was already in its 33rd printing under a different label, by Byworld World Publishers, Orem, Utah. As Beale pointed out, a business which makes 6% on its invested capital is considered a sound moneymaker. Sterling Drug Inc., the main cog and largest holding company in the Rockefeller Drug Empire, and its 68 subsidiaries, as back then, showed operating profits in 1961 of 23,463,790 after taxes on net assets of only A 54% profit. Squibb, another Rockefeller-controlled company in 1945, made not 6%, but 576% on the actual value of its property. That was during the luscious war years when the Army Surgeon General's Office and the Navy Bureau of Medicine and Surgery were not only acting as promoters for the drug trust... But we're actually forcing drug-trust poisons into the bloodstreams of American soldiers, sailors, and marines to the tune of over 200 million shots. That's back then. They're still at it today, of course, as you all know, by what you read in the newspapers and the coming mandatory flu shots. Is it any wonder, asked Bill, that Rockefellers and their stooges in the Food and Drug Administration, the U.S. Public Health Service the Federal Trade Commission, the Better Business Bureau, the Army Medical Corps, the Navy Bureau of Medicine, and thousands of health officers all over the country should combine to put out of businesses or business all forms of therapy that discourage the use of drugs. I would say their drugs, mainly. The last annual report of Rockefeller Foundation's reported Bill itemizes the gifts it's made to colleges and public agencies in the past 44 years, and they total somewhere over half a billion dollars. Every college and university in Canada and the States is funded with grants from these guys, like payoffs, with, mind you, certain political things to push, like Save the Planet, Ecology, Greening, and all the political correct stuff, and also suggestions on what not to be allowed to be taught. See? That's how it's done. Always has been. It says, otherwise there would be no more gifts, just as so there are no gifts to any of the 30-odd colleagues or colleges in the United States that don't use therapies based on drugs. Harvard, with its well publicized medical school, has received eight million seven hundred and sixty four thousand four hundred and thirty three dollars of Rockefeller's drug trust money. Yale got seven million nine hundred twenty seven thousand eight hundred, John Hopkins ten four hundred and eighteen five hundred and thirty one dollars, Washington University in St. Louis two million forty two thousand nine and thirty two, New York's Columbia University, 5,424,371. Cornell University, 1,709,072, etc., etc. And while giving away, in quotation marks, those huge sums to drug propagandising colleges, the Rockefeller interests were growing to a world wide web that no one could entirely explore. Already well over 30 years ago, it was large enough for Beale to demonstrate that the Rockefeller interests had created... Built up and developed the most far reaching industrial empire ever conceived in the mind of man. Standard Oil was, of course, the foundation upon which all of the Rockefeller industries have been built. The story of old John Dee, as ruthless uh, an industrial pirate as ever came down the pike, is well known, but is being today conveniently ignored. And it goes on and on and on. But I'll put these articles up. Remember, all the things I read, I put up on my site for you to look for yourself, look at yourself. But this is leading me into my next thing. You see, we're, we're trained, and all the doctors are trained and all the rest of it, about there's only one way to go and all of this. And it's all by popping pills. And it's their pills, of course. And we've all had the things about the, the Vioxx and the Celebrex and all the different drugs that have come out and given folks strokes and heart attacks and, and how they've tried to cover it up, etc., etc., etc. However, do you know that around the time of World War I, a little unknown doctor from Canada who was a communist went over to the Bolshevik revolution and he took with him the knowledge of how to use viruses to kill bacterium. He called them bacteriophages. Bacteriophages, very important. This is the particular talk I'm going to give here. Because this was kept quiet from the Western world right up to the late 90s when it exploded uh, by the BBC, I think it was, and also a Canadian television company also did an article that's slightly different, but the, the the main articles are the same. And therefore, all through the Cold War, the Soviet Union did not need to use antibiotics on the peoples. Now, you think of all the thousands of journalists and, and tourists and so on that went over there during the Cold War and students from universities, and, and no one came back to tell us this. They all knew, obviously, definitely the reporters. You can't keep these things secret, especially when they're mixing with people in the streets who were taking these particular bacteriophages. And... We've all heard about the seven, from the seventies onwards with this big crisis and it's getting worse today. Oh, we have drug resistant bacterium today. None of our antibiotics are working. And we've got to put billions into research and of course your tax money gets thrown at these same pharma businesses who are stalling on it all because they, they don't want really to, to cure us all today. We know that, it's a fact as well. They want to bring the populations down as the optimum population trust tells us in all major media. And they had their people on the panels and boards of, of parliaments and congresses. So all through the Soviet era, here's, here's from, from about the, era of one, the era of World War I. They knew how to literally alter, uh, get, get these particular viruses that live on specialized bacterium. In other words, for every bacterium, there's a virus that feeds on it something that they'd known a select small group have known since the late 1800s. Therefore, the BBC Horizon came out with this documentary It's called Phage, The Virus That Cures. And I'll put the link up for a video from Horizon tonight so you can see it for yourself. And this place in Georgia that was set up with eventually the backing of Stalin after Lenin for this doctor has pretty well Cure for every known bacterium, and the beauty of it is too. Uh, even when a, a bacterium supposedly supposedly, and I'm rather doubtful about it happening itself, evolves to be resistant to something, they can always, within about two weeks, find another virus that will eat that bacterium. If we're in their hospitals, and you'll see the hospitals on their in, in this particular documentary, run-down places, all Soviet standard uh, you know, type of footage of their conditions, but you'll see them spraying the, the, the wards and the operating theatres with just a mist, a mist of these particular, particular viruses, which kill off all the drug-resistant bacteria that we just can't get rid of in the West. Fantastic. And you'll also see something really incredible, and that's that what happened about this patent. You see, after the Cold War, uh, the funding stopped to this particular unit in Georgia, this hospital, this laboratory and science uh, center. And a Canadian investor, uh, who was also in league with bigger boys, a multi millionaire many times over, went over there to negotiate with them for the rights to all their the stuff, supposedly to, to leave uh, the Russians with some rights on the patents and so on. But there was a kind of argument with Orrin, et cetera, et cetera. At the end of the show, at least the Canadian one, the Canadian broadcasting one that I saw, it tells you that all this knowledge now is in the hands of a company, a corporation in New York. And that's the last we heard of it from the late 70s. Well, I guarantee you, since they want to bring the population down, they're not going to give this stuff to us in the West right now. But they have no problem over in the old Soviet, ex-Soviet countries with drug-resistant bacterium, and they haven't had any problem with it since the 1970s. Amazing. This is documented, fact this stuff, kept quiet from the West by the big grant-controlled medical authorities and societies and universities. Amazing. The only place that they put it on, and I noticed a little bit of a newspaper article not so long ago, was in your cold cuts on your cold cuts. You don't know that, do you? Supposedly, it stopped salmonella and different things. That's, only, that's the only place the government's allowed it to be used. Of course, it's big business for Hoover's making the stuff. But they're not using it in, in the medical profession, even though the, the British veterinary profession, at one point, uh, used it for, for years, actually, um, by a guy, uh, a single fella, uh, who did his own experimentation and a small grant and literally cleared up all the different diseases in the cattle to do with diarrhea, intestinal problems, and meningitis? So, will they use it on the humans in the West? No, no. You've got to use the big boys' drugs because the same boys own the pharma that owns the banks, always have been. Back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt. were cutting through the Matrix, talking about something that should have been known in the West. And actually, they tried to get it out to the West, the, the bacteriophages, back in the 1930s. And a massive propaganda campaign was launched against it to defame all the stuff, to try and discredit all the findings. By guess who? Well, the big pharma businesses and Rockefellers and all the rest of them, because it just wasn't on the cards, you see. It just wasn't on the cards to give it to those in the West. And so it went, went on unheard of by the West all through the whole Cold War era up until the late 90s. Even though, uh, I guess uh, it was a guy in Britain, as I say, who, who was a loner, he, he used it himself. He did some experiment for the go- government. Willie Smith, his name was. And from 1945 on, he used it to treat the livestock. He said, and, and some people are on this particular video who worked with them, and they say it was better than antibiotics. It could control and eliminate blood poisoning in in livestock, that's toxemia. Meningitis, E. coli infections, and even gangrene. And you'll see it too, and use it in in the Soviet system, where it also literally cleared up gangrene. Stuff that we're just still struggling with. We're still struggling. We just can't find ways to deal with it in the West, you know. But I'll tell you something. This kind of stuff, I'm damn sure has been used for a long, long time on many elite people. That and other medicines and other techniques of repairing tissue that we'll never, ever, ever hear of. Never. Because after all, you see, we're all the excess, non-evolved, old species from the old man. trying to kill off all this stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and finding ways to throw billions at pharma industries that just lap it up, where it's that or new inoculations that might or might not work, as they keep telling us. Um, The cons go on. The cons go on. But, you know, what wasn't mentioned here, and I know for a fact from other articles I've read in the past, they can also alter viruses to kill other viruses. And the beautiful thing about bacteriophages and, and, uh, and the other kind too, the viruses that kill viruses, is that once they've finished killing their host, they simply die off. They don't strange they don't evolve themselves to try and keep themselves going, isn't it, in this whole theory of evolution and how bacterium just evolve to to escape because all the weaker types are killed off, no the superior ones go on and interbreed and become resistant that's just the, the theory that they have because the sciences they give us on the west are all based on theories which are guesses and they always mandate which is the best theory that will be taught like law as law in fact in universities but strange how viruses don't do that isn't it even though the viruses can pretty well kill all these different kinds of bacterium off regardless of the evolution of the bacterium I've said before many times we're, we're basically mushrooms. We're, we're farmed like mushrooms. How you do it in mush- with mushrooms? You keep them in the dark and you feed them. You feed them bovine fecal matter. That's what you do. That's what we get fed as reality in this world. And regardless of the evidence, most folk are totally brainwashed. Can never really get to it, can they? And that's their problem. But it's not mine. And hopefully, it's not yours. So from Hamish myself from Ontario Canada it's good nights, I and mean, your God or your gods go with you.